We're continuing with our series looking at the epistle of uh, to the Ephesians by the Apostle Paul. In our last visit, we looked at the first ten verses of chapter 2, which focus on the condition of the Ephesian Christians before they were saved from their sins. The Apostle Paul described that condition very clearly in verses 2 and 3. I found it even more interesting after I preached it. This is how it is with the Word of God, isn't it? I can study something all week long to preparing it for these for Sunday, preach it on a Sunday. You'd think by then the penny has really dropped, but it dropped a little bit deeper afterwards when I looked at it. Um, how do you describe someone who is dead in their trespasses and sins? It's not an easy one, even if you're a Christian. Well, you've got the answer here. You've got a very good description in chapter 2 of Ephesians, verse 2 and 3. Let's have a look at those again. Wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, that's the devil, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also... We all had our conversation, our conduct, the way we lived in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath. That is the wrath of God abiding on on, on those Ephesians before they became Christians, abiding on us before we became Christians, abiding on people in here now if they're not Christians even as others. Can you see that very clear description in verses 2 and 3 of the person who is dead in trespasses and sins? It is a condition that that applies equally to all who are not trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as their saviour from sin. Also, we saw that by the grace of God, the Ephesians were quickened, made alive spiritually, And they were saved from their sins through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, that was by grace. And very clearly there, I'm I'm going through a bit of a recap here, um, looking at verses 8 and 9. Let's find it again. Yeah, 8 and 9. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. As I've said many times, no boasting in heaven. It's all by the grace of God. Anyone who having been dead in trespasses and sins and who is then raised up to spiritual life by the same power of God that raised up the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead is entirely different to what he once was. you'd, You'd have to... Uh, agree with that it's it's pretty obvious raised up to spiritual life different a new creature in Christ this is what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 therefore if any man be in Christ he is a new creature old things are passed away behold all things are become new if you who were dead in trespasses and sins used to spend your time 
opposing God, fulfilling the lusts of your flesh. What do you do now? Now that God has quickened you, now that God has made you alive, and by his grace you now trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as a repentant sinner. I don't know what you do, but we saw the answer of what we ought to be doing in verse 10. Let's have a look at verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. By the grace of God that quickened you and saved you through, the, through, through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you as a born-again Christian are now zealous of good works as unto the Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever you do, you do as unto Jesus. You don't do it in your own strength. You do it with God working in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. If you did not have God working in you to will and to do of his good pleasure, you would continue to do, to will and to do of your good pleasure. And what you do now, you do with thanksgiving in your heart and you do for the glory of God. At least that's your prayer. And that is your earnest desire. Now we've arrived at today's passage and we're going to be looking at chapter 2, verse 11, through to the end of the chapter, which deals with the Ephesians' former relationship to God. It was one in which they were without God, and they had no eternal hope. If, they don't, if you don't have Jesus, you don't have a hope that extends beyond this life. Indeed, as has already been seen, they were by nature the children of wrath with God's, the wrath of God abiding on them. Let's have a look at verses 11 and 12. Wherefore remember that ye, being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh, made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Paul was addressing the Ephesians who were not of Jewish descent, which was no doubt most of those Ephesians, and they were not circumcised in the flesh. The history behind circumcision of the flesh is that it was ordained by God. It's not something that man um, invented. And it was ordained by God as a sign and seal of his covenant relationship with his people in Abraham's time, about 2,000 years before the Lord Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. The Lord gave very clear instructions about circumcision to Abraham in Genesis chapter 17, verse 9 to 14. I'll read it for you. Genesis chapter 17, verse 9 to 14. It is written, And God said unto Abraham, Thou shalt keep my covenant therefore, thou and thy seed after thee, 
in their generations. This is my covenant, which he shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. Every man child among you shall be circumcised and ye shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin and it shall be a token of the covenant betwixt me and you. And he that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you. Every man child in your generations, he that is born in the house or bought with money of any stranger which is not of thy seed. He that is born in thy house and he that is bought with thy money must needs be circumcised. And my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised man-child whose flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised, that soul shall be cut off from his people. He hath broken my covenant. Consequently, the Jews, or to be precise, the Jewish males, not the females of course, the Jewish males who were the natural descendants of Abraham were circumcised in the flesh and it can be seen in the New Testament in Luke's Gospel chapter 2 and verse 21 that even the Son of God, the incarnate Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was a Jew according to his human nature, was circumcised as a baby. Even though circumcision of the flesh was a requirement of God and it was a sign and a seal of a covenantal relationship with his chosen people, it counted for nothing if a person's heart was not circumcised. As Paul said in Romans chapter 2, verse 28 and 29, I read it to you earlier, for he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, Neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter. Whose praise is not of men but of God. In those verses from Romans, Paul was talking about the need for a spiritual circumcision one that has not been performed with human hands, but has been performed by God on the hearts of all who are quickened by God, the Holy Spirit, and are saved from their sins by the grace of God through faith in his dear Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, whether they be of Jewish descent or whether they be Gentiles. It makes no difference. Only God can see into the heart and only God knows which of those Jewish hearts were circumcised. That said, it's reasonable to say that even though the flesh of all the Jewish males was circumcised, the vast majority of them never did trust in the promised Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, they remained dead in their trespasses and sins, with uncircumcised hearts and with an everlasting punishment in hellfire to come. That would be the position of most of the Jews. Back in uh, Paul's time, uh, before that, in Moses' time, and even today, most of the Jews, they may have, or the males, they may be circumcised in the flesh, but the question is, 
Are they circumcised in their hearts? And the answer to to that is no, unless they are trusting in Jesus as their saviour from sin. The circumcised Jews were greatly privileged in that they were the sole custodians of the Old Testament scriptures. Scriptures which contain God's law, scriptures that contain the prophecies speaking about the Messiah, the Christ who was to come into the world, speaking about all those wonderful promises that have their yea and their amen in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Jews had all of that. They were the sole custodians of it, whereas the uncircumcised Gentile nations knew nothing of those promises of God through faith in Jesus. They knew nothing of the eternal hope that comes through faith in Jesus. Therefore, circumcision of the flesh, you can see the advantage of it, or or in other words, the, the advantage of being a Jew by descent. And it separated the Jews from the rest of the world. That is, until the Son of God came down from heaven as a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of Israel. Then when his work was done, he said to his disciples, Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations, Emphasis there on the all nations. It's no longer just the Jews. Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Everything changed from that time onwards when the Lord Jesus Christ had finished his work that his Father sent him to do and he was risen from the dead. Let's have a look at verses 13 through to 18. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Paul, again, he's speaking to these Gentile Ephesians. For he is our peace who have made both one and have broken down the middle wall of partition between us having abolished in his flesh the enmity or the hostility, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain or of two one new man so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you, which were afar off, and to them that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. In these verses we see that the Lord Jesus Christ has destroyed, has abolished that barrier that separated Jews from the Gentiles who are described as having been far off, that's the Gentiles, far off, far from God. By the shedding of his blood, Jesus has brought reconciliation between Jews and Gentiles and most of all, he has reconciled both Jews and Gentiles to God. All of them who are trusting in his atoning sacrifice, circumcised Jews and uncircumcised Gentiles alike.
In verse 14, Paul, who was himself of Jewish extraction, said to the Jewish Ephesians, For he is our peace, who have made both one, and have broken down that middle wall of partition between us. Paul the Jew saying, He is our peace, speaking to the Gentiles there. The Lord Jesus Christ alluded to this great work of bringing together Jews like Paul once was and Gentiles as children of God with citizenship in heaven. When in John chapter 10 and verse 16 he said, And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. The other sheep, which were not of this fold, is a reference to the Gentiles. Whether they be Jews or Gentiles who have been reconciled to God, either way they are people who have already been described in earlier verses as having been quickened and saved by the grace of God. No difference at all whether they had circumcised flesh or not. And they, they'd been quickened and saved by the grace of God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, who having perfectly fulfilled God's laws, have redeemed them all with his own precious blood. Jesus has brought peace between all the Jews and Gentiles who believe in him. He has brought them together in one body of which he is the head. The description of the church as being The body of Christ has already been seen in uh, chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 22 and 23. And have put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth in all. So in that body of Christ, that mystical, spiritual body of Christ, are all the citizens of heaven, all the children of God, all members of that one body. It makes no difference, does it, whether they they have circumcised flesh or not. But one thing that they all have is a circumcised heart. The boast of the Jews was that to them was given the law. Never mind the fact that like everyone else, they are lawbreakers, they are sinners. As Paul said to the epistle, in his epistle to the Romans, there is none righteous, no, not one. Also Paul said, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But the good news is that by the blood of the incarnate Son of God, all who believe in him are reconciled to God, so much so that Jesus gives them the power or the tremendous privilege to know and to address God as Father. Whether they be Jews or Gentiles, according to natural descent, it makes no difference whatsoever. They stand before God with circumcised hearts. They are all washed from their sins by the same precious blood of Jesus, and they are all clothed in his righteousness. They are all accepted in the Beloved Let's have a look again at verse 18 and what a wonderful verse it is. 
I missed this first time round when I looked at it during the week. Verse 18. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. I wonder if uh, you can see something very, very special about that verse. All the verses are special, but something there about that verse. Can you see all three persons of the Trinity in that one verse? Through the incarnate Son of God and his sacrifice of atonement, all who belong to him have access to God the Father by God the Holy Spirit who indwells them and God the Holy Spirit is the earnest of their heavenly inheritance. All three persons of the Godhead are in that verse there. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father, whether they be Jews or Gentiles. Let's have a look at verses 19 through to the end. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. In verse 19, as Paul was drawing to a conclusion, he described the position before God of those Gentile Ephesians in various ways when he said to them that they were no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. The saints, that's a reference to all the children of God, all who have ever trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ throughout all ages, all who have membership of that body of Christ. Having been redeemed with the blood of Christ and forgiven all their sins, they have citizenship of the everlasting kingdom. They are all living stones in a spiritual building. I love all these different metaphors to describe what we have in the Lord Jesus Christ, our position in Christ. They are all living stones in a spiritual building which has as its foundation the apostles and prophets. It is a building that is growing as elect Jews and Gentiles are quickened and saved by the grace of God and are being added to the church daily. Finally, it is a spiritual building, a holy temple that is held together by the Lord Jesus Christ who is the chief cornerstone. In John chapter 10, verse 27 through to 30, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. If by the grace of God you 
if by the grace of God you have been saved from your sins and you are now safe and secure with all the other saints throughout all ages in that holy temple that is held together by the chief cornerstone, the Lord Jesus Christ, you will have every assurance of that. You'll know it, won't you? You'll, you'll, the God doesn't leave you without that assurance. You have that assurance of it. And that is because you know that you are safe and secure in the hand of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you are safe in his Father's hand, your Father's hand. You will know it, not because of some nice fuzzy feeling running running through you, but because you will be someone who hears the Lord Jesus Christ in his word and you follow him as someone who is indwelt by the Holy Spirit, having been quickened and saved by the grace of God unto good works that he has before ordained that you should walk in them. What a wonderful God we have who has broken down that middle wall of partition and and redeemed for himself a people from Jews and Gentiles from all nations. And we see that in the book of Revelation that where people from all nations, every tribe, every tongue, sing the praises of the great God who saved them by his grace. Amen.